This is Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for checking out my sermon podcast from the New Hope Walpolopin Faith, Stairwell, and Slocum United Methodist Churches. We'd love to have you join us some Sunday for worship. To find out more about our locations and worship times, find us on Facebook at New Hope Walpolopin. We hope to see you soon. Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at the place called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. From Luke 23, verses 43 through 47. He replied, truly I tell you this day, you will be with me in paradise. It is now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus cried in a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the sentry saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. The word of God for the people of God. Today is the official last week of our series, using the final words from the cross by Pastor Adam Hamilton. However, next Sunday we'll be referencing back to our reading a little bit, and we'll be uh, talking about the epilogue chapter from the book. But over the course of the series, we've talked about, uh, as we've dug more deeply into the words that Jesus said from the cross, we've looked at the deeper meaning behind them, and understanding their importance because they're said through the deep pain and suffering of Jesus. And today is no different, uh, although in today's chapter uh, and topic, there are two phrases that we're going to be talking about together. It is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, Mark, Matthew and Mark don't actually include the words, it is finished. They simply say, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now, it's in John that we see the words, it is finished. And as you know, or should know by now, if John included something. And also remember, John's was written a few years after Matthew and Mark. So as you know, if John included something or deviates from the other two, it's because he was an eyewitness and, and there's a deeper meaning behind what he says. Now I have to admit, lately there's a phrase that's worked its way into my vocabulary. It's not one that I'm really proud of. Uh, it's a little bit embarrassing. Uh, it's been around for a while, but nonetheless, it's there. Now, I've not actually said it in public. I usually say it at home. Um, I haven't said it in church until today, but the phrase is, stick a fork in me, I'm done. Anybody else use that? 
Do you use that one? I typically use it, and I'll use it when I'm, my wife and I both work at home uh, for my other job, and we'll be sitting there, and she'll be like, you ready for a break? And I'll be sick of forking me, I am done. And when I say it, I'm starting to feel like I, it's my age that's starting to bring some of these out. Um, I'm waiting to see a Geico commercial about some of the stuff that I say and do. I, there's actually a couple that, that kind of hit a little close to home, but it's just one of those things, I don't know where it came from. I think ESPN used to talk about that kind of stuff, but uh, it's one of those things that I just utter when I'm tired or, or I'm frustrated or I just, I've given up or, or just need to take a break. Now when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, this is what some people think he meant. Now, you're not going to read the word, stick a fork in me, I'm done, anywhere in your Bible, thankfully. Uh, I guess if it's King James, it would be, sticketh a forketh in me, I am done, or something like that. But you, you can imagine the sentiment. There are some that think that Jesus' words, I am finished, is him giving up or, or throwing in the towel, or as Adam says in the book, uh, that he's saying it's, it's not a ten count. Because we know that Jesus shouted these words from the cross. But we also know that in Aramaic, which Jesus spoke, the word that he used was finished. But in the Greek, the word, word is translated completed. That is a little different. It is completed. But the question is, what was finished? What was completed? Because what purpose did Jesus' death serve? Now, I'm sure that we've all got our answers Things we've grown up hearing, we, we talk of atonement, of Jesus taking our place on the cross, of, of Jesus dying in our place, that it should have been us. And, but when we hear Jesus died for you, what does it really mean? And when you say that to somebody else, because this is often a big evangelistic thing that we say is, Jesus died for your sins, or Jesus died for you. What do we mean? Is it just about forgiveness, or, or, or why are we saying it? As Adam puts it in the book, he says that Jesus is doing more or did more on the cross than a theory or a metaphor could ever describe. This is most likely why we see different interpretations and understandings among the writers of the New Testament. Jesus' time, his entire time on earth, was this ongoing story. It, it was an entire novel. It wasn't just a short story. His death on the cross was part of that story. But it was also a story. It was basically a chapter of this story. It was a sacrifice to save us from sin. It was a sacrifice to save us from death. It, it showed God's love for humanity. It showed us the importance of sacrificial love. It shows us that God has triumphed over the grave and that humankind has been redeemed from the events of the Garden of Eden. It even shows a new system of redemption of replacing the rituals and sacrifices and even some of the laws of the Old Testament. The thing is, there's just so much that we could, we could get and, and, and unpack from the crucifixion. On the cross, Jesus showed us what love looks like. Through his death, through his life, Jesus shows us that he, that God understands what it means to be human, to suffer loss, to endure pain, to know temptation. And when Jesus said it was finished, the it was all of these things, that Jesus has overcome all of these things and even more. <clears throat> That's why it's, it can be overwhelming to try to explain what Jesus did to other people, especially those that don't believe. Because there's just so much more that happened there. There's, the more you study it, the more it's interwoven with history, with tradition. And the more we look at it, it just becomes almost impossible to explain everything that happened and the next thing you know, you find yourself going in circles and you start to confuse and cross because it's this big, big thing. 
But see, one of my favorite visual pictures from what happened on the cross is the tearing of the veil in the temple. In the temple set the inner court called the Holy of Holies. It was considered to be the throne room of God because it contained the Ark of the Covenant, which inside of was the Ten Commandments. It was the, a jar of manna from the time in the wilderness. And it was Moses' rod, which had been passed to Aaron, which had actually begun to bloom. <clears throat> On the Ark was, called, it was a seat that was carved. It was called the Mercy Seat. And that was considered to be God's throne, a place for God to reside. And once a year on the atonement, which is Yom Kippur, we, we, which we talked about with the scapegoat, if you remember from a few weeks ago, the high priest would enter and sprinkle the blood of a bull and the blood of the other goat, not the scapegoat, on the mercy seat as an atonement for his family and for the people, all the people of Israel. The high priest had to wear certain clothing and in normal times the, the high priest dressed very ornate. Uh, on the day of atonement it was very plain, it was a lot of white garments. But they always had bells on their clothing uh, so that when they entered the Holy of Holies and the other priests outside heard the bells dinging and ringing, they would know that they'd been accepted in, that they were still alive. I don't think this is a job I would want. I, just, I, I think just the thought of walking in and the stress of that would just make me either pass out or just drop dead right there on the spot. Like It would make me so nervous. And it gets, I don't want to say worse, but even a little more challenging, in that it's not found in Scripture, but Jewish tradition holds that they would also tie a rope to the leg of the high priest. So then when they entered, in case they weren't accepted, and, you know, uh, that they had a way to get the body out of the Holy of Holies. So anybody ready to sign up for that job? But... So, so it was sort of a stressful thing, but it was a big deal. And, and the Holy of Holies, being able to enter that was a big deal. And, and you'll see why I, I bring this up. Uh, across the Holy of Holies was this veil, or, or some translations call it a curtain. And it was very, very heavy. And the other priest would lift it up the bottom so that others could go under it. Think about it this way. If you've ever worked in theater or been backstage and, and had to go under the curtain because you couldn't find the opening, how heavy that curtain is. Picture something like that, but it's a solid piece. And it was very ornate. It was one of the most ornate objects in the tabernacle. It was woven from fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Embroidered on it were figures of cherubim, angelic beings who protected the throne of God. And then there were four pillars of acacia wood, overlaid with gold and with silver bases that supported the veil, and it hung by gold hooks and clasps. See, the veil was so important because the veil is what separated the throne room of God, everything that is holy, from us, everything that's considered not. It separated God from the sinful people. And when that veil was torn, this was no longer the case. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, and when that veil tore, that barrier, that that curtain, that symbolic thing between us and God was no more. Because what had happened is Jesus, you hear this reference in scripture that Jesus became our high priest. Jesus became that veil. Jesus became our way to God. The only thing that stands between us and God is Jesus. And he doesn't stand in the way. Because through Jesus we can go straight to the throne room of God. That's what Jesus' crucifixion did for us. 
because there was so much accomplished because of this. And it's hard to explain. Now, over the past few weeks, we've talked about how the words of Jesus on the cross were also a way to show the Jewish people what was happening, that some of the things he said were fulfillment of scriptures or were quoted scripture. We talked about Psalm 22 and, and how it was a hymn that they would have known. The last words of Jesus from the cross are found in Luke 23, 46, which says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Now these, were two, these words too were taken from a psalm. They're taken from Psalm 31, 5, which says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Now it is said that this is a prayer that Jewish children would pray at night. It was a prayer that was taught to them by their parents. Think of the prayers that we teach our children, now I lay me down to sleep, and some of the others. As Adam points out on this week, can you imagine, Jesus said this from the cross, and can you imagine that Jesus was taught this prayer as a child by his mother Mary, and how this prayer had carried him through, and how this is the last thing he says from the cross. But see, it's also a prayer that the people standing around him would have recognized as well. When I was first starting out in pastoral ministry after being, uh, you know, that youth guy that plays dodgeball with the teenagers for a few years, uh, probably one of the things and the biggest things I struggled with was hospital visitations, um, especially at churches that were large where I was new and I didn't know people and you had to go into somebody's hospital room and like, hi, I'm the new guy. Uh, it was a little awkward at times. Mm -hmm. And one time I went, uh, one of the first times I did a hospital visit was in Indianapolis uh, and it was with our diaconal minister, which is what used to be before deacons became a thing in the United Methodist Church. And she was at, uh, she was the diaconal minister, still is, at Epworth United Methodist Church. And I remember that visit that we stopped in on a family. It was somebody that I hadn't met yet. And their mother was on her deathbed. She was dying, their mother, grandmother. And Pat walks in uh, with this, Pat was amazing at this, by the way. And Pat walks in and she, she asks the family, she's like, what, you know, what's the news? How's she doing? And the family looked at her and said, well, the doctors say she's in God's hands now. And Pat, without hesitation, said she always was. See, if you're like me, we like control. Anybody here like control? <laughs> Anybody here struggle to let somebody else drive the car because you would rather be in control? That's, that's me. You don't have to be shy, Claudia. You can raise that hand high. It's all right. You're among friends. But I like control. Like, I like to fix things. I, I like to be in control. And I think a lot of us do. And I think that's why our world is in so much turmoil right now. There's so many people that just are struggling because we don't have control between the economy and everything else that's going on. But see, the truth is, even when we think we're in control, we're not really in control we could do everything we, we possibly can to try and control our lives, but everything for us can change in a moment. Some of you have experienced this. Bad things happen, now not because God causes them, but because we live in a sinful and dying world where there is disease and accidents and death and even natural disasters. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how much we think we're in control, we're always in God's hands, whether we acknowledge it or not. So, knowing this, what if we, as adults, and kids can do this too, what if we were to make this our daily 
prayer. What if, what if we were to pray every day, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. God, I give this day to you. Just help me make it through. God, just be in charge of my day. Do with me what you will today. What if that was our prayer? What if every day we woke up and we just gave our lives and our day and every waking moment over to God and said, God, whatever happens today, I trust that it is of you. And that God can use even the bad stuff and that God will help us through the bad stuff. Do you think it would help maybe remove the anxiety we feel when, when things seem chaotic in the world around us? Do you think that maybe it would help us to not rely so much on controlling the things in our lives? Do you think maybe we would react a little bit better when things don't go as we had planned, which they usually don't? See, so much was accomplished through Jesus' life, through his death, through his resurrection. It was this story, this grand novel that we can't even begin to try to explain all of the ins and outs and every corner of it. And if God can take Jesus' life, or if God can write this, this made this big story, and if he can use that to change the world like he did, what do you think he can do with us? If through all of this that we can gain a better understanding of the impact we're supposed to have on this world around us and through this story, we can see how much God loves and cares for us. And if we have a God that loves us this much, shouldn't we be willing to commit our lives to him? Shouldn't we be willing to trust that he will deliver us from anything that comes our way? Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did and accomplished for us on the cross. We just ask today that you would help us to just commit our lives to you and give ourselves over your will and to trust that you will deliver us from whatever happens. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.